Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. And pray for us. Father, we love you and trust you. We believe your word is absolute truth. We desire to live our lives by what it says, and so I pray as we open it this morning and study it for the next little while, Lord, you would just speak to us clearly. I pray that we would know and understand exactly who you've called us to be, what you've called us to do. And I pray, Father, you'd receive honor from the things that we say, from the things that we do, from our attitudes and our thoughts. And Lord, I pray through the power of the Spirit we would be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. We are continuing our study this morning in the book of Genesis. And I have to tell you, as we continue to move through this, I get more and more excited about the, the riches that the Lord is showing us. All the truth we find as we study through this verse by verse as we kind of work our way through and and, and take our time studying. And today is an exciting day because we come to maybe one of the greatest stories in all the Bible. We come to a story that's not only well-known in the the Christian world, but it's maybe one of the more popular and well-known stories in all the world. It's the story of Noah and the ark. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, you'll remember that when we were in Sunday school as kids or discipleship or RAs or GAs, some of you remember those days, we studied Noah and the Ark. Our kids still study Noah and the Ark. Noah and the Ark is an exciting story, and I can remember as a kid, we would draw the pictures of Noah and all the animals, or we'd get the coloring sheets in Sunday school, and we'd color the Ark, and we'd color Noah and the birds and all the giraffes and the animals are on the ark. And if you were really fortunate as a kid, if you were really lucky as a kid, you got the Noah's Ark playset. Now that thing was pretty sweet. Right, you got the big boat and then you open the side door and in the, all the animals, you remember those playsets, right? And you'd get out of those animals and you'd stack them and you'd line them up two by two out to your room and you'd have the animals coming into the ark. And the story of Noah and the Ark is a beautiful, famous, very exciting story. But I want you to stay with me in what I'm about to say. Unfortunately, I think too many times we focus on the wrong things in that story. Now stay with me. Don't get mad at me. Don't throw anything at me yet, okay? The animals are cool and they're part of the story. The big boat is cool and it's part of the story. The flood is part of the story. All those things are important. But let's just remember now, we're taking this story not out of context. We're taking it within the context of the book of Genesis. And the context tells us that at this point in history, so far, the Lord is displeased with the earth. Sin has increased. Violence has increased. Wickedness has increased. The heart of men are far from the things of the Lord. And it's in this context that the Lord has looked down upon the earth, seen this ever-widening gap away from him, and we've seen in the last couple of weeks that there's this impending wrath. God has come to the point that's led him to this idea of destruction. He's going to destroy now the entire earth 
and all that is in it except for Noah and the few animals he chooses to save. Now here's what I believe is the truth of this story. In the midst of great sinfulness, in the midst of great destruction, in the midst of all these people that have turned from the Lord, the Lord in his grace and mercy is going to offer salvation to one man. See, I really think the story of Noah is a picture of God's great love in the midst of great sinfulness. I think if we think through it enough, it really points a picture to salvation in our lives. Noah lived in a godless time. People were doing things they wanted to do. They were sinful. They were separated from the Lord. But by Noah's faith and through Noah's faith in the things of the Lord, he was saved. Very similar to our situation today. Even though we may live in a godless society, even though sin seems to be increasing, even though we are surrounded by violence and the hearts of men and women are wicked all over the world, even in the midst of that, God offers us his grace. If we have faith and put our trust in him, we will be saved. That's the picture of Noah. So we're going to begin our story this morning in our study in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 6. We're going to study through the remainder of this chapter. We're going to take it little bits at a time, and we're going to begin with the first two verses. Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is the account of Noah, right? There's a little break in the text here. We learned again last week about the wickedness of humans. We were introduced for the first time in chapter 6 to this idea of Noah. At least we'd seen his name before, but the idea that the Lord had found favor in him. And now we're in verse 9. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now we're going to stop there, and I want you to see the first truth that I think is really important. And it's really not only a truth for Noah... I think it's a point of application for our lives, even in our culture today. Here's truth number one. If we are faithful to the Lord, he will use us to accomplish his will. If we are faithful to the Lord, he will use us to accomplish his will. Now, let's be clear on something here before we move forward. I don't want there to be any confusion about this point. God will always accomplish his purposes. We need to be clear there, okay? God is in absolute, total control. God will absolutely, 100% of the time, accomplish his will. There's no doubt about that. He's always going to accomplish his purposes. He just may not be able to use you to do it. You understand that? Here's the picture. God says, I'm going to use Adam as the example. Adam, I've got this great thing for you up here somewhere. I want you to kind of walk down this path with me. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. I want you to follow me. And if you'll do these things, if you'll allow me to be in your life, if you'll walk side by side with me, trusting me, praying me, looking me for guidance, if you'll do these things, Adam, I'm going to use you to accomplish this incredible task that will bring me honor and glory. Now, in the midst of that, the Lord says, now, by the way, Adam, I'm still going to accomplish this. I'm still going to receive honor. But if you're sinful and separate yourselves from me, you're not going to be part of this incredible thing that I'm going to accomplish. You're not going to be part of my purpose. But if you'll trust me, 
If you'll be faithful to walk with me, I will use you to accomplish my will. I think it's a beautiful picture of our walk with Christ. So God gives us three very clear things that Noah does here in verse 9. I want to walk through them and think through them with you just for a few minutes. The Bible tells us three very simple things that Noah was doing when the Lord looked down and found him faithful and decided to use him in mighty and powerful ways. Here's the first thing we see in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man. He was righteous. Now, this is actually the first time that this word righteous, just leave that verse up. That's a great place to stay for a few minutes. That's the first time this word righteous has been used in all the scripture. Genesis is a book of beginnings. We've already seen that. We've seen the beginning of so many things, but the neat thing about Genesis is for the first time as we read through it, we see words used that are going to become very important words as we move through Scripture. This idea of righteousness, this is a big, important word. We're going to see it all through Scripture, but for some of us, it may be hard to understand. You say, well, I've heard that word thrown around. It's maybe a churchy word. What does it mean to be righteous? It's kind of a simple definition. Righteousness is living in accordance with God's standards. God says, you're righteous when you live rightly according to my word, right? I'm going to give you this plan, God says. I've given it to you right here. And by the way, how fortunate we are to live in an era where we can both read and hold all of God's word in our hand. That's unheard of in the history of the world. You understand that, right? Noah didn't have that. Moses, Abraham, Paul, none of these people in Scripture had what we have. But God says, I've given you this plan. I've given you this set of standards by which to live. If you, now follow with me here, if you will live your life completely and fully based on these standards, then you will be righteous. That's a great model, isn't it? That's a great thing to strive for, isn't it? There's just one very simple problem. You know what it is? It's impossible to live for God in all things, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm a sinful man. And I make mistakes. And there's not a day that goes by that I break some command or some law that the Lord has given me in his scripture. And so if I were to kind of look at this text and say, you know what, I want to be a righteous man. I want to live for the Lord. I want to follow everything that he calls me to do. It's impossible for me in my own strength and my own power to be righteous. You say, okay, what do we do? Well, praise the Lord, Christ came for this very reason. In fact, the Bible tells us that this is the progression here. This is the logic. Christ came and was righteous. You understand that? He was perfect. He committed no sins. And so when Christ lived his life without committing sin, he was the perfect sacrifice. He gave his life for us. And watch this. When the Lord sees us, he sees us through the lens of Jesus' righteousness. You understand that? I'm not righteous, I'm sinful, but when the Lord looks upon me, he sees me through the lens of Christ, and through the righteousness of Christ, I become righteous. It's not because of me, it's because of Jesus. It's not because of me following rules, it's because of Jesus living a sinless life. Now Romans 3, 25 and 26 explains this to us. God presented Christ, right? He gave Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, right? God says, I've given you this gift of Christ, the atonement of your sins. You can receive it by faith. He goes on to say, 
He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. See that? Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That's you and me, right? We're the ones who have faith in Jesus. So we receive our justification, we receive our forgiveness, we receive our righteousness simply because of what Christ did for us. So if we ever have the hope of being called a righteous man, it's only through the power of Christ that it can ever happen. So Noah was righteous. Secondly, Noah was blameless. Now you say, great, so Noah was blameless. That means I also have to live my life without any mistakes, right? I can never make mistakes. Well, we know scripturally that's impossible for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We know that's not possible. We know we're not going to be blameless. And if we study this kind of in, in its original meaning, and we understand the way it's constructed, most scholars would have us believe it doesn't mean that he was blameless in a sense that he never did anything wrong. Instead, we have this sense that he lived completely for the Lord. Noah had this idea that he was going to do everything the Lord called him to do. He was going to serve the Lord in all ways. It's the idea of giving 100% of our lives to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were honest with yourselves, you'd probably come to the conclusion I come to. There are moments in my life when I give 100% to the Lord. You would probably say the same thing. But there are also moments in my life when I'm not giving 100% to the Lord. And a lot of your walk and mine, if we were honest, becomes something like this. What percentage am I going to give to the Lord? What percentage am I going to keep for myself? Lord, today's a busy day. I've got this incredible schedule, all these meetings and decisions. So, Lord, I'm going to give you about 10 minutes this morning. That's what I've got for you. That's all i got. The rest have got to be for me. I'll do better tomorrow, Lord. And it becomes this kind of ratio. Lord, I'm going to take this much and I'm going to give you this much. That's not what Scripture commands us. That's not what Noah did. That's not, now follow with me now, that's not how the Lord is going to use us. You understand that, right? Lord, I'm going to give you about 10% of my life. Lord says, well, maybe I'll just give you 10% of my blessings. Father, I'd like to give you all of my life. Then I'll use you. I'll guide you. I'll direct you. You can follow me, and I will accomplish incredible things through you. So Noah was righteous. Noah was blameless. Again, just a model of how we ought to live. Thirdly, the Bible says that Noah walked faithfully with God. Noah walked faithfully with God. See the three things there? Right? No, he was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? That's a great question. I have conversations oftentimes with people, and sometimes the conversations become about the will of God in their life. And they ask me the question, what is the Lord calling me to do? Can you help me understand God's will? Can you help me understand what the Lord's calling me to do, who he's calling me to do? Let me, let me just be clear about the will of God. First of all, there are all sorts of things in here we ought to be doing, Right? It's easy for us to set this aside and say, yeah, I mean, I know that stuff, but what does he want me to do at my job? <laughs> well, maybe if you started here, you would understand what you're supposed to be doing at your job. I remember when Amy and I were dating, she was a student at Auburn University. Proud of that, right? Go ahead, War Eagle, I know it's out there. And we would spend time sometimes at the Arboretum in Auburn. How many of you have been to the Arboretum in Auburn? Yeah, a few of you. Beautiful, it's a really nice place. 
a lot of landscaping and trails to walk through, little bridges. And when we were dating each other, we would go down there sometimes and we would just walk around and talk. And we were in kind of that lovey-dovey mood, right? We were engaged later on and we were dating. And so we, we really didn't care about the amount of time we spent, you remember? Back in the good old days, we didn't have schedules and appointments to keep, right? So we would just go walk sometimes for hours. And I'll just remember those times just spending with her, walking with her, talking with her. And all of a sudden, we'd look at our watches. We'd been there two hours, and neither one of us knew it. I think it's kind of like that with walking with the Lord. See, so many of us are interested in hearing what the Lord wants us to do that we want to know what 10 years down the road holds. And so we have this kind of conversation with the Lord. Lord, if you could just kind of give me the 10-year plan for my life, it'd save us both a lot of time. Because then you you kind of clue me in on where I'm going and the next steps. And so what's next month, the next year, five years? I'll write it all down, Lord. I'll have this 10-year plan, and then we'll both be happy. That's kind of what we desire sometimes, isn't it? But the Lord says, I'm not going to necessarily give you a 10-year plan, although sometimes he does. Instead, what he says is, I'm going to be with you as you take one step. You be faithful to me then, and then I'll be with you as you take another step. Right? A lamp into my feet, a light into my path. You know, the, the scripture that talks about the word of God. The thing about a lamp is it only illuminates a certain distance ahead of us, doesn't it? So the Lord says, I, I want you to walk with me. And so here, here's the problem with too many people. They want to know where they're going. They want to know the destination, and they get so caught up in where they're supposed to end up, they forget about walking with the Lord. You follow what I'm saying? You want to know what the will of the Lord is for your life? Quit worrying about the destination and focus on the journey with Christ. That's all you've got to worry about, I promise. If your life is committed to following Christ, learning who he is, studying his word, praying, walking diligently with him, if that's what your life is about and that's all you're concerned with, you're going to wake up one day, I promise, you're going to be so closely walking with the Lord, you're not even going to realize the journey you've taken. You're going to find out you're exactly where he wants you to be. That's what it means to walk with the Lord. And so the Bible says we've got this man in Noah. He was righteous. He was committed to the Lord. He walked daily with the Lord, and because of this, the Lord is going to rain his grace down upon him, and he's going to do something amazing through the life of Noah. Now look with me in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. We're going to to get kind of a reminder here of where we've been. We're just kind of catching up here. It's like a review. Verse 12, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. God said to Noah, right? So because Noah is righteous, because the Lord is going to bless him and bestow grace upon him, God's going to let him in kind of on this secret, and he's going to give him direction. Now, this is interesting. We think about the the destination and where we're going. God doesn't give Noah details here about what's going to happen. He didn't tell him how it's going to happen, the time frame. He basically just says, listen, I want you to trust me. Here's the plan. I'm going to put an end to all the earth. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. 
every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. So we see Noah, a righteous man, a man blameless, walking with the Lord. The Lord is going to use him to accomplish his purposes. And now we begin to get a picture of exactly what the Lord's going to do. Here's truth number two. Through God's guidance, Noah builds an ark of protection during the worldwide flood. Through the guidance of the Lord, Noah is going to trust in God. He's going to follow God. God is going to lead him to build this ark that will protect him and his family and the animals during this worldwide flood. Now, I want to think just for a few minutes about what the Lord's about to do. I want to think about what this means because this is a portion of Scripture sometimes where there is debate. And this is a question that people often ask of the flood, and this is a question I want to answer and think through just a few minutes. The question arises sometimes about the flood, is this really a worldwide flood? There are some people who would say, well, there was a flood, but it was just a localized flood. It was just a regional flood. There are others who would say, well, it wasn't even really a regional flood. It was just a flood in the area of where Noah lived. And so we begin to ask ourselves the question, was this a worldwide flood? Did it cover the entire earth or did it simply cover the region that Noah lived in? Now, I want to walk through some truth here to help you understand. And let me give you my premise before we go through this text. I believe that we're going to clearly see that this was, in fact, a worldwide flood. It wasn't localized. It wasn't regional. It was a flood that covered the highest peaks of the highest mountains all around the world. Now, there's some truth we need to understand to see why I believe this. Look with me again in the text. Again, our answer should always come from Scripture. Let me say that again. Our truth should always come from Scripture. Our answer should always come from Scripture. If somebody else says the Bible's incorrect, we hold to the truth of the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean we're, we're foolish about the rest of the world and we just set it aside and don't pay any attention to it. But ultimate truth is found only in God's Word. So what does the Bible say? Well, look with me, if you would, in verse 12. I'm going to highlight some things in several verses that will help us understand, that will point to this very clear picture of a worldwide global flood. Genesis chapter 6, verse 12, the Lord speaks of all the people on the earth. Verse 13, God says he's going to put an end to all the people, that the earth is filled with violence, right? There's this sense of a global, a worldwide event, not just a few people, not just a portion of the earth, but all people, all the earth. Verse 13, he's going to destroy both them and the earth. Verse 17 says he's going to destroy all life under heaven. Everything on the earth will perish. There's this picture in chapter 6, and we're going to see it again in chapter 7, that the Lord intends to destroy all the earth, all the people. Why? Because sinfulness was rampant. It had taken over. People were angry and evil and vicious toward one another, and the Lord looked down upon the world that he had created and he vowed in his heart to destroy it. Now, an interesting side note that relates to a worldwide flood. We'll get to this here in just a little while, but you may remember the story of Noah. The Bible says that Noah's going to take two of every kind of animal and seven of the clean animals, and we'll talk about that in the weeks that come. But the Bible says he's to take two of every kind of animal. Why? So that after the ark lands and the waters have gone down, those animals, a male and female, could repopulate the earth, right? That's what, the God, that's what God tells Noah to do. 
It's interesting, if this were just a regional flood, why would the Lord send the animals? Because there would be animals all over the rest of the world that could repopulate that one little region. It'd be silly to build this huge boat and save all these animals when there are animals all over the planet that could repopulate. The reason the Lord called Noah to build the boat, the reason the Lord called the animals to get on the boat is because all the animals were going to die as well. So we see biblical examples and reasoning to think that this was a worldwide flood. We see the truth of the animals help us to understand this was a worldwide flood. What what about some scientific evidence? Well, there's some very interesting things. I'm going to make a statement that I'm going to talk about in a few weeks. I'll give you kind of a little cliffhanger here. I believe all fossils that we have were caused during the flood. Some of you may recall it that, whoa, I'll talk about it later, I promise. I'm going to get into that. But here's what you need to understand as science is concerned and the flood is concerned in our modern times. Did you know, and I think through with me, if you would, just for a second, if the flood covered all the mountains of the world, that would mean there was a time when all the mountain ranges were underwater, right? That's kind of an obvious statement. Did you know that there have been marine fossils found on almost every mountain range all over the world? Marine fossils, did you know that? So, for example, in the Andes Mountains of South America, I was reading an article this week from the New York Times. Listen to the quote in this article. Among the fossils, the scientists reported bringing back were the bones of whales and other marine animals found at altitudes of more than 5,000 feet above sea level. That's a long way up. That's almost a mile up. How does a whale get a mile up out of the sea? He doesn't crawl on the land to do it, I promise you that. The Grand Canyon, most of us think about the Grand Canyon as this big pit, it's a, it's a mile deep, and that's true. What a lot of people don't understand is the rim of the Grand Canyon is six to 7,000 feet above sea level. You may not know that. If you were to study the Grand Canyon, you would know that marine fossils have been found in the rock layer among the rim, on the rim of the Grand Canyon, six to 7,000 feet above sea level. Did you know that scientists have found marine fossils in the Himalayan mountains? Now, if you've ever looked at the Himalayan mountains, you know the Himalayan mountains aren't right by the beach, and you know that they're very tall. And so the question becomes, how do we find marine life? How do we find limestone, by the way, which is only deposited in water? We'll talk more about this when we get to fossils here in a few weeks. How do we find marine life buried thousands of feet above sea level and thousands of miles sometimes from the ocean. Now, the answer scientists have come up with is that these mountains came up out of the sea. That's what they would say to us. I think the clear answer in Scripture is that at one time, all of those mountain ranges were covered with water. Why? Because there was a worldwide biblical flood. And when that flood covered the mountain ranges all over the world, it deposited these fossils thousands of feet above where the seas would eventually settle out. I think the Bible is very clear that this was a worldwide flood. I think it's clear biblically. I think we see it when we think about the animals. I think we see it in the example that fossils show us in science. But I think the biggest thing we need to understand is this was a worldwide flood because sin had encompassed the whole world. You understand that? Again, we've got to be in context here. And so the Lord says to Noah, we're going to build this boat. We're going to build this big boat. We know the story. He kind of gives the dimensions, right? And if you were to actually read the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for ark there really just means big box. 
And you say, that's kind of interesting. Why would Noah build just a big box? Doesn't sound seaworthy. How's he going to get anywhere? Well, let's just remember. Let's just think through this logically, right? The ark wasn't designed to be propelled. It had no propulsion system. It wasn't designed to cut through the water. It wasn't going anywhere. It didn't have oars. It didn't have a sail. Noah's task was to build this boat so when the floodwaters came, it would literally float around for several months, protecting the animals and Noah's family. When the water subsided, it would let the ark back down. Everybody would get off alive. That's the point of the ark. So God gives Noah these dimensions. He says, I want you to build a certain number of cubits wide and high. And most of you probably already know this, but a cubit is basically the length from the end of the elbow to the end of the finger. Now, most scholars think that was somewhere between 18 and and 21 inches long. So that puts Noah's Ark somewhere around 450 feet long. Now, I'm going to put this in perspective that will help you understand the size of this boat. If you've ever been to a soccer game or a football game at Callaway Stadium, right? Most of us have been. Some of you have played, some of you have marched in the band, some of you have been on the sidelines cheering, some of you have been in the stands. But I bet almost everybody in here has been to Callaway Stadium. If you were to sit in Callaway Stadium and look down on the field, you'll know that the football field is 100 yards, it's 300 feet. The end zones are another 10 yards deep each, so that's another 60 feet. So really from the end of one end zone to the end of another end zone is about 360 feet. Now, Noah's Ark is somewhere between 450 and 510, 520 feet, depending on how long a cubit was. And so kind of a general ballpark picture is to think, you know what, if you went from one fence at Callaway Stadium to the other fence, you know the fences behind the end zone? That's about the length of Noah's Ark. So the next time you're in Callaway Stadium, you should kind of take a step back and realize the length of the Ark would pretty much fit in that entire football field. It would be about halfway as wide as the field. And it would be up about 45 or 50 feet above the field level. So you'd have to walk up quite a few steps, probably close to the press box level, in order to see the top of the ark. This is a monstrous boat. This is the largest boat ever built in that time. And it took literally a few thousand years before somebody else built one that big. But God gives Noah the ability. He gives him the desire. He gives him the tools he needs to build this ark. Now, here's the question some of you are asking. We're going we're to get to this in a few weeks. I can't cover it all today. Is that boat big enough to hold two of every animal in the world? That's the question people ask. They start doing the math. Well, an elephant's this big. Giraffe is this tall. There's about 1.5 million cubic feet on that boat, by the way, based on a cubit at 18 inches. Is that big enough to hold all the animals? Two things I need you to understand, and this is, again, just a little teaser. We'll get there, but I don't want to leave this hanging here. Two things you need to understand. The Bible's going to tell us in a second that he's going to take two of every kind of animal. K-I-N-D. That's a very important word. Okay, we're going to talk about what that word means in a couple of weeks and going to better understand exactly how we can fit these animals on this boat. But the other thing to remember is this. Remember, God sent the animals to Noah. God allowed these animals to walk to this boat, to load this boat. God, in his infinite wisdom, understood that a full-grown elephant and a full-grown giraffe are pretty big. So I believe the Lord sent baby animals. Why? Because they're smaller and they repopulate better. They got longer to live, right? Now think about it. A baby elephant is a lot smaller than a full-grown elephant, right? Noah's Ark just got a lot cuter for some of you, didn't it? Oh, I didn't think about that. Puppies and kittens. I'm not sure he brought cats. I'm just not sure that's biblical. 
but he probably did bring dogs. We'll talk about that. But I think there's great scriptural evidence to prove this is true. It really happened, and yeah, all the animals fit. It's a picture of God's grace, right? Now, we got to finish up. We're running low. Look at verse 18. Let's finish this chapter up. Verse 18, so the Lord has explained the boat. He's explained how he's going to get the animals on. We'll talk more about that in detail in the next few weeks. Then God makes this very interesting statement. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive. Look at verse 20. Two of every kind of bird. You see that? That's important. Every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. By the way, if you were to read back the creation account, he speaks about creating animals based on their kind. We'll get there. Verse 21. You are to take every kind of food that's to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Here's truth number three. God at this point for the first time in history is going to establish a covenant with Noah. Now covenant is a really cool word. It's just kind of this agreement, this relationship between the Lord and his people. And the Old Testament really, and we're not going to get into the details here, but the Old Testament is built on this idea of a covenant. In fact, you see scripture after scripture where the Lord looks down upon his people and he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. For example, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three, the Lord says, this is the covenant, there's that word, I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's a picture of God's faithfulness. And, and, and watch this now as we kind of wind this thing down this morning. Just stay with me just a few more minutes. The beautiful thing about the covenant with the Lord is even when the children of Israel failed, God was faithful. You understand that? Even when they were sinful, he was righteous. Even when they were unholy, he was holy. We see this beautiful picture in the story of Noah bound up in this story is this picture of salvation, the grace of the Lord bestowed upon this man to save him from certain death. It's a picture of salvation in our lives today. See, in a sense, we've got kind of this covenant relationship with the Lord through our salvation. The Lord says, if you'll put your faith and trust and hope in me because of my grace, I will save you. And so I just want to kind of finish with this question. Do we trust the Lord in all things? Have you put your faith in him? Is it 100%? Is it 99% some days, 80% other days? Have you been willing at all times, in all places, in all circumstances to give the Lord 100%? See, all you need to do for the Lord to use you in powerful ways is to take your eyes off of yourself and put them on him. See that? If you'll do that, he'll lead you to places you never thought possible. And he'll accomplish things through you for his honor and for his glory. That's the man I want to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that even in the midst of great sinfulness, Father, you offer grace. Lord, if we'll, Lord, if we'll receive righteousness through the blood of Christ, if we'll walk with you, if we'll trust you, you'll provide salvation for us. You'll provide protection for us, Father.
you'll give us life in the midst of death, Lord. But so many of us, too many of us, maybe all of us, Father, don't realize that enough. And so forgive us of the times when we fail you and we put other things ahead of you. Forgive us of the times when we only give you 10% or 5% or 0%, Father, because you've got this incredible plan for us. You want to bless us and use us to accomplish great things, Lord. All we've got to do is trust you. Give us the strength to walk faithfully with you and you use us, no matter what it takes, for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. I want you to consider just for a few minutes in this time of invitation how the Lord's using you. What, what are you keeping from the Lord that's allowing him to, to use you at 100%? What are you, what are you keeping from the Lord for yourself? What are you giving to him? Maybe you need to spend a few minutes at the altar praying about how the Lord could use you more. Maybe you've never given anything to Christ, and for the first time you want to repent of your sins and accept him. Or maybe you want to come be part of this church, but this is your time. You respond to the truth of God's word right now as we sing. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.